It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born all right. Hey, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. I'm your host, K.P. Burke. If you don't know, I'm a stand-up comedian based in New Jersey. And every week what we do is I bring my handsome father in, Lawrence Patrick. Say hello. Hey, hey, hello, hello, hello. And uh, what we do every week is we go through some of the biggest losers in American history. We're on the hunt for the biggest one of all time. Each week we get a little bit closer. Some of these fascinating stories of people you don't ever get a real good look at because in a culture obsessed with winning, this show puts the spotlight firmly on second place. Behind the ones and twos, as always, is my buddy, uh, the big Kahuna. How you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. How you doing? Hey, Kahuna. Uh, not bad. And uh, also, Kahuna, you don't know the topic this week, but you know who else doesn't know the topic this week? Uh, our guest. <laughs> our handsome guest, Mr. Hot Joey Fernandez, is in the building. How's it going, buddy? All right, Joe, from the All in Our Heads podcast with our pal Mike Gaffney, right? Uh, stand-up comedian. I'm going to be opening for you all week here at Uncle Vinny's, right? Yes. Wednesday through Saturday. Very excited about it. I've been plugging on the show here for you, man. Uh, now, Joe, you came in blind, too. You don't know shit about I this. I learned nothing about the subject. I'm hoping to leave here knowing everything. Illuminated. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I expect nothing less than all the angles You covered. want to be educated. That's it. He's got his lessons plans ready yes. that he do, he didn't even have to do anymore, but now because he's doing this. Because he's a retired craft, teacher. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I pay for this plans. appearance is knowledge. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> knowledge is power. That's it. Knowledge is power. And I'm going to go to the school that house. Edumacation. There you go. Edumacation, <laughs> and we're going to talk about it on stage this week. Everything I learned. <laughs> Well, the, uh, all the previous episodes, uh, it's been people that are kind of like household names. You know, Grover Cleveland got mentioned. People know who he is. They don't know what he's all about. Queen Lili Ukulani, people know that. Uh, James A. Garfield, they know the name. They don't know why. Queen Ukulani, I, I have no idea. Yeah, Joe's shaking his head is. on that one. Joe, imagine if you listen to their show a little. You know? it's a, but I'll tell you what, uh, we got Richard Hauptman, okay? What do you guys know about Richard Hauptman? Jack and shit. <laughs> and I know more, less than that. <laughs> What's less than Jack and shit? I don't know. I think Mr. Houtman here, the reason that makes him... <laughs> you really threw me for a loop there. What is less than Jack and shit? John Shaw. <laughs> well, we got for uh, Richard Houtman here for the loser of the century. He's a fascinating dude, okay? Uh, now, first of all, he was born Bruno Richard Houtman in Caymans, Saxony, Germany. Okay, so he's born in another country. He was born on November 26, 1899. Now, Houtman would earn the distinction of becoming the most hated man in America. Like, the thing I always think about is I think about Pedro Martinez, right? What do you used to say? Where, where's Pedro from originally? <laughs> I don't know. Where is he from? Well, he was not, not from, from America, per here. se. <laughs> yeah. And then he's sitting there. He goes, hey, man, I used to be sitting underneath a coconut tree, and now I got the entire city of New York ready to kill me. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing what the impact somebody, an individual can still have in this day and age. Yeah. But none more so than Mr. Houtman, who became the most hated man in America as he was implicated in, as the perpetrator for the crime of the century. Okay. Now, last week's episode hasn't actually now, which been... century are we talking about here, Kev? Fair enough, sir. Well, this guy was sentenced to the electric chair, and he actually sat in Old Smoky, which was New Jersey's electric chair. He was executed in Trenton State Prison on April 3rd, 1936. 
So little, if you're listening to the episodes as they come out, we literally just covered the electric chair in the previous episode. So it's pretty interesting here. Okay. But uh, we got to unpack this real quick. In order to figure out why Richard Houtman is important, we have to talk about the people that, uh, whose lives he went on to change. Dad, who the fuck is Charles Lindbergh? Charles Lindbergh. Well, Charles Lindbergh had a lot of different nicknames. He was either Lucky Lindy or the Lone Eagle. Uh, he was like an w- international rock star. And the reason for it is he was the first guy that was able to fly across the Atlantic Ocean solo, nonstop. Uh, This was like earth-shattering. This was like around-the-world superhero status. What was the name of his uh, his plane? His plane is um, the Spirit of St. Louis, and that's actually his plane is still hung in the uh, Smithsonian. The Smithsonian, yeah, the uh, Air and Space Museum in Washington D.C. Oh wow! Uh, it was a. Uh, uh, you know, it was, as I say, an international uh, incident when he was finally successful. I mean, we look at it today like a big whoop. He flew across the Atlantic. But you got to realize that the, the time now, the timeline now is like 1927, uh, I guess, when he flew across the Atlantic. And people have been trying to do this. That broad tried it and she went bye-bye. Oh, well, Amelia Earhart. Yeah, that, was, that was that was a she went bye bye. Yeah. She went gone. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually that was Amelia Earhart, Joe, and uh she her big claim is she was attempting to fly around the world, not just across the Atlantic. But she was the first woman to oh, okay. successfully fly across the Atlantic. He goes that uh, broad. <laughs> yeah. That's how she's remembered in history we're, too. We're Amelia completely that PC broad here. We're completely PC. Well, uh, interesting thing. So Lindbergh is super famous for the time, right? He flew from, where did he fly from, Dad? He flew from uh, New York or Roosevelt Field on Long Island um, nonstop to uh, Paris, France. And what happened when he landed in Paris, though? Uh, they, the, the people of France just went absolutely berserk. I mean, there was thousands of people there. They literally ripped him out of his plane after he landed it. He said he had to cut the engines quickly. Uh, sooner than he wanted to, simply because he was afraid that somebody was going to run into the propeller in their attempt to get to him first kind of a thing. And then they ripped him out of the plane, and he's literally like uh, uh, crowd surfing for the next half hour. People are just holding him above their heads. He's the original Beatles. (laughs) That's what I was saying. I made also like an Elvis-type response where people are just losing their minds seeing him. I mean, so rock star of the day. Rock, absolutely. And just not in the United States or in France or in Great Britain. I mean, around the world that uh, he was internationally famous. So you got to understand that this was like huge, huge stuff. We look at it now, like in in 2018, that, uh, you know, big whooping went across the Atlantic. We're doing that all the time now with passenger travel. But it wasn't until like 1903 when those two brothers, uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright, were finally able to um, achieve flight. And big whoop! I mean, they were they were international rock stars because they were the first to do that. After how many people died trying to do that same thing, the heavier heavier than air uh, aircraft, and you know they went in, in Kitty Hawk, um, uh, South I guess it's South Carolina, North Carolina's North Carolina. first in flight. North it's on their license plate, you hippie. My bad. My bad. My <laughs> bad. One of those Carolinas, <laughs> but uh, you know they they flew for twelve seconds. And went 140 feet barely off the ground. And they were internationally famous for that. I mean, think about 140 feet. If you start at the goal line, you don't get to midfield. Uh, And, you know, they were the first to achieve that 
tremendous success. I feel like it's when, uh, like when you guys took the training wheels off my bike and for the first, and you let me go for the first time, and I was like, "See how far I went before I fell? I'm doing pretty good over here." Is that when you're wiped out in the driveway? We can talk about my hematoma on my balls another episode, Dan. Um, mm. But uh, I hope TMI. I come back for that one. TMI. <laughs> It's uh, that the American loser was the nurse that had to treat that one uh, for that episode. But uh, <laughs> now we Lindbergh's can do close to fan. home episodes in the future. <laughs> a whole other podcast. Uh, we had a uh, so now Charles is super famous, uh, almost leading a charmed life. One might say, right? He was awake for how many hours to make that flight? He had to the flight, the total flight time. He's piloting this thing for three thirty three and a half hours. Oh my. God. Yeah, not a nonstop flight, right? Thirty-three and a half hours. Mind you, no autopilot. No, nothing we, like that. And we bitch and moan about, oh God, I got to go to Hawaii, and it's a long flight, or God forbid, I have to fly to Australia, where somebody else is flying the aircraft. This guy's like what, behind the orange. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically, that's what it was. That uh, um, he had, I don't know, like four hundred and fifty gallons of fuel to uh, to get him there, and it was just just an incredible feat, but. Total time awake, 55 hours. He hasn't slept in now 55 hours when he finally lands. So that's like one stairway to heaven that just never ends. <laughs> never ends. It's that's live right. stairway to heaven. It's loop, length baby. Of time. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> well, Lindbergh's super famous guy, right? Everybody likes him. An amazing feat for the time. Uh, unfortunately, he's also linked to tragedy, which is what the story today is going to wind up being about. Uh, Lindbergh was married. Right, and he had a kid, and uh, you guys maybe have heard of the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. Does that do anything yeah, for you? Yeah, I've heard of that. Yes, a lot of comments have been made. Well, on. It was known. That's as it. The, yeah, it was the crime of the century. I mean, it was heavily reported on. Now, here's the the breakdown. We're going to go into the true crime end of this one. On March first, nineteen thirty-two, at the new Lindbergh Mansion, right here in Hopewell, New Jersey, guys. All right, another little local Jersey tie-in on this one. Pretty cool. Does that just keep happening? Like, yeah, it, just, it is not planned. It's weird. I do believe I, I had an ex-girlfriend tell me that she thought that uh, New Jersey was the center of the universe. She was not from here, but she believed it was the center of the universe. And I think she's I right. I can see that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, another little Jersey tie-in, if you really want to get down to it. Lindbergh's motor the, the, that drove the plane to France was made in Patterson, New Jersey. Are you kidding? No. Nope. Wow. Absolutely. No shit. Patterson was where was Lindbergh out. from? Uh, he's out in the Midwest someplace. Oh, okay. uh, not Jersey. Not Jersey. That would have been great. But Not his Jersey. mansion is in Hopewell, New Jersey. Okay? So down in Hopewell, New Jersey. And he married a Jersey girl. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. Had absolutely. to be done. Miss Morrow, right, who was of a very well-thought-of family. Pretty uh, wealthy and esteemed. Enough so that they had a brand-new mansion that was uh, it was pretty much done, but they weren't all the way moved in yet. Okay? And it was down in Hopewell, New Jersey, and it was uh, a, a sight to be seen, right? So on March 1st, 1932... Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr., all right, Baby Eaglet, they called him, right? The Little Eaglet. I mean, he had a bunch of nicknames. This is like Kim and Kanye type stuff, okay? That's like how his life was being reported. Everybody knew everything about him. But uh, he's the 20-month-old son. He gets put down in his crib by the family nurse at 7.30 p.m. Now, Charles hears a noise. He later dismisses at 9.30, right? He thought that it was a new crate getting broken to into the kitchen. Turns out, not quite that. So he's going over there. The nurse then discovers that baby Lindbergh is not in his bed now at 10 p.m. Okay, so now they're freaking out. She goes and she tells Charles Lindbergh, who now searches the house with the butler. They're carrying guns. They're searching the house. They don't know what's going on. They go back into the baby's room where they find a ransom note. It's got bad handwriting, even worse grammar. And on it, it says, uh, this is literally written like it was done by like a Nigerian prince. That's how terrible this uh, oh, wow. the grammar it's is. Oh, wow, that bad? 
Yeah, it's uh, Dear Sir, have $50,000 ready, $25,000 in $20 bills, $15,000 in $10 bills, and $1,000 in $5 bills. After two, four days, we will inform you where to deliver the money. We warn you for making any ding public for notify the police. The child is in good care. Indication for all letters our signature, and then, this is the kind of crazy part. Is that a Philly accent you're doing, or is that uh, Yeah, I was, was going to say, Ken. That. It's, it's a goofy one, right? I'm trying to, really I'm trying to just do like a Swedish chef. I think that's what it really has to turn into. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidnapping a baby. Exactly. So now what's crazy with that whole accent, I'm trying to uh, make sure that we're getting this part, because the way that the note is written, it kind of tips them off that they think that the guy who committed the uh, kidnapping is going to be of German descent. Okay, ah. so if you were if you had to write a note in another language, you would have some grammatical errors, right? If it wasn't your first language, especially. Yeah. But what was crazy is that because this guy wasn't a complete moron, he sounds like he's a complete moron. But now he's got this uh, intricate little set of symbols. Okay, there's a special coded signature on the letters to make them know that it was actually from the kidnapper, so no copycat people could try to take credit for it. So it was not signed; it was just. This symbol at the bottom of the ransom yeah, note. Yeah, this was the signature for it. It was two blue rings, one red, okay? And it was the three of them would be, and they all had holes punched in it so that that's how you would know that you were dealing with the official kidnapper, okay? Now, they also found imprints in the ground outside the window, and there were pieces of a ladder, like a kind of a shoddy-made ladder that were outside the boy's window, and they found uh, one of the baby's blankets. Now, the state police respond to this thing ASAP, right? This is like it's a celebrity crime. You know what I mean? If Kanye West's daughter went missing, they would be all over it, okay? So uh, now, first of all, guess who's the head of the state police at this time? Who's the head of it, LP? Uh, Schwarzkopf, uh, not the father of the Schwarzkopf that was involved with the Gulf War. That uh, He's now the first um, – this Schwarzkopf, I forget his first It name. was Herman Norman Schwarzkopf. He's the first superintendent first of the New Jersey State right, Troopers. right. Right, and his uh, son goes on to be Storm and Norman from Desert Storm. Wow, yeah. okay, so, another Jersey Italian, but exactly <laughs> that is it's so strange. Yeah. We How have did... a fascinating group of people in this state, man. Uh, wow. uh, now it is huge news, like I was saying. So there's a bunch of people that are showing up. A lot of them very well intentioned. A lot of curious people from the papers and stuff like that. They show up, but when you have a bunch of, what's the last thing you want to do when you have a, a crime scene? Have TMZ show up? Yeah, contaminate right. it. Have all these people now? They're literally losing evidence outside this guy's place because of it. But the guests that are showing up that uh, are, are the prestigious people in the world is like I said: Herman Norman Schwarzkopf, the superintendent of the New Jersey State Troopers; Henry Breckenridge, who is a, a well thought of Wall Street lawyer; and William J. Donovan, who would later be the head of the OSS during World War II, which went on to be, you know, Joe. I'm looking at your paper. The CIA. <laughs> That's what I was going to try and act smart, but you're, I had to admit right back that I was cheating. Again. Yeah, this is doing, uh, doing a heavy lean at the this, kid next to you. This is how I learned. Actually, in high did school. his homework. Yeah, <laughs> this is why on school papers they make you write in twelve uh, font, not eighteen, like I wrote my dumb show notes in. <laughs> <laughs> I have good eyes; I could read any. Oh my! Yeah, and I think God. Kevin, and it, one of the one of the heavy hitters that's also involved with this, uh, you know, your famous people, uh, Charles Lindbergh's father-in-law. Right, his wife's father is Dwight Morrow. Um, Dwight Morrow is a New Jersey state senator. Right, uh, he's probably one of the richest guys in the world because he's also uh, a heavy hitter with J.P. Morgan uh, Financial. So, uh, you know, there is a lot of interested people. This is more than just the O.J. Simpson trial, where you know some former football player or some former movie guy is uh, now charged with something. This is Charles Lindbergh, this international. 
uh, hero. His level um, at the time is cannot be compared to anybody. Yeah, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, I feel like it's insulting to compare him to Kanye West. Like, this is we got to find a new <laughs> right. comparison. Right. Yeah, that's Kanye that's, that, West. that's not even close to the same. Plane. I think if anything happened to Kanye West, we'd be like, ah, <laughs> that's right. It sucks to be her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's uh, one weird thing, too, that I'm noticing on this one is that uh, the initial suspicion is that the crime was going to be committed by mobsters because it was very popular at the time to uh, kidnap people and then seek ransom. Now, one weird thing, too, about this that uh, I think is important. At the time, kidnapping is considered a local crime. Okay, There is no federal jurisdiction for that. This changes because of the Lindbergh kidnapping. Uh, It's literally, I believe it's known as like the Lindbergh Clause or something like that, where now kidnapping is a federal offense. So kidnapping, much more serious charge now because of what happened in this case we're talking about today. But uh, like they said, that by looking at the note and everything like that, they decided that the perp was going to be of German origin. Now, Lindbergh allowed and utilized some of his shady mob-connected characters to help him out and get uh, information. Uh, you know who offered their help from prison? Who, Capone? Yes. Really? Wait, what? Are I you serious? You, I knew you would get it because it's that ridiculous that that would be like, right. oh, Al Capone. Yeah, he offered uh, in exchange for an early release. He said he could help get the kid back, right? He was – and uh, everybody was about this. This this crime absolutely horrified the entire nation. Nobody – I mean they pulled at the heartstrings. A baby's missing. A famous guy's baby that you feel like you know. You have a connection to this guy. His kid's gone. Al Capone reaches out from jail, says, if you get me out of here early, you know, so I could be more effective. So he's trying to still – he's like, hey, I want to help out, but let me see what I can get for myself at the same time here. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, J. Edgar Hoover is brought in from uh, – I guess it is the FBI at that point, but J. Edgar Hoover. It's the FBI. It's known as the Bureau of Investigations Bureau of – okay. It's it, I guess like the average baby wasn't like a big news story no, back I, then. Like they didn't hear yeah, us but, a lot. They weren't like – I mean, like, Lind- uh, you know, like we hear it every day. So we're like, yeah, missing baby. And we ignore it. That's probably like a big one and yeah, a famous baby. Oh, you see the alert on the on the parkway that the, yeah, there's a like those amber are, alert or whatever whatever color it is for a missing kid, right? Doesn't it terrify you when you're seeing an amber alert on the parkway and it's the same vehicle you're driving? <laughs> you know? Uh-oh. <laughs> Always kind of scares you on that stuff. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover gets brought in, right? Uh, he's got the, the Bureau, of, uh, Bureau of Investigations is actually going to go ahead. They're supporting the New Jersey police on this one. President Hoover himself, Herbert Hoover. Here's the crime and tells the Department of Justice to support New Jersey and whatever they're doing. So now you got, I mean, the feds are creeping up your ass. That's the, the trope from every cop show ever. But now it's in the opposite fashion where they're reporting to New Jersey people. So a little bit goofy on that one. But uh, between the $50,000 reward that was being offered by the Lindberghs and the state of New Jersey offering $25,000 as a reward, that made the Lindbergh baby worth a modern $1 million three hundred forty five thousand two hundred and forty seven dollars during the height of the great depression wow. yeah that's another that's another great point kev we're in the middle of the of the great depression so people are looking for you know they're they're trying to people are standing on soup lines to get something neat and now this guy is looking for fifty thousand uh, dollars you find that baby you're in the money yeah, though, huh? yeah and also because of the notoriety of this whole thing i mean the, the place is just surrounded now by media. It's a circus. And what's interesting, I think, too, is with all these heavy hitters that are offering their services to find the baby, the guy that's really in charge of the whole um, search is the father, is Lindbergh himself with Schwarzkopf as, uh, as the uh, like number two guy. 
Right. That and never happens. Like if, that if, nev- some, that if never someone happens. gets kidnapped, like they, they tell the parents or whoever to stay on the sidelines right. and exactly. let the authorities handle it. His so fingerprints are lesson, all over it. Whether that lesson was learned from this particular case that, that from then forward, you know, we got to keep the family out of this as far. But again, this guy is so famous. I mean, when he, when he comes back from France after his successful flight, when he comes back from France, the president of the United States sends a Navy ship over to France to bring him home with his plane. They give him the congressional medal of honor. And this is like the first time that anybody's ever received the congressional medal of honor for non-combat uh, situation. I mean, th- the the level of this guy is just unbelievable. And he did it. He flew across the Atlantic. He was still a bachelor. So now he's this young, good-looking, 24-year-old guy that's like the... 24? 24 years old. Dang, I had nothing going on at 24. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally about to turn 24. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. He, he had a little something going on for sure. And then he marries uh, Anne Morrow, who is, you know, the daughter of this... Uh, super rich guy from Englewood, New Jersey, right? Senator Dwight. It's like Morrow. married to Kennedy, pretty much, they, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of parallels to the Kennedys. And as I say, Dwight Morrow, he's a famous guy himself. He's now the Dwight Morrow, the father-in-law, is the uh, ambassador to Mexico. He's also the uh, senator for New Jersey. I mean, he's he's big time and extremely rich. He's he's. Um, touted as being one of the richest men in America. So, you know, he just happened to have a hot daughter too. Had, had a hot daughter and now his grandson has been kidnapped. This so, is, you you think there's a lot of people would like to score a few points with some higher-ups to uh, make sure that we find this kid? Yeah. Like I said, he was a famous was it like baby. Like a ransom thing or like is it the just, ransom was the fifty thousand, right? Fifty thousand for the ransom, right? But yeah, because they wanted like such a small number, even back then, right? For such a famous baby. Well, think about it. You're in the midst of the depression, yeah, the Great Depression, and fifty thousand like could carry you for the rest of your life back then. So literally, fifty fifty grand for that kid was like what he said, like was the like a million dollars or yeah. two today. I'm a little nervous too because Joe is almost like, man, I wouldn't do it for that little. If I was going to kidnap the baby, <laughs> gotta make it worth my while, yeah, yeah, right? Well, because you, you got to think it's like someone with the balls to do that is like a not just like your average poor person. I mean, I don't know what the what the story's going to unfold, but uh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but you feel like if you're a guy of any power, you know money and you're going to be like, I need a little more than 50 Gs. Well, the people were outraged by the crime, too. <laughs> no? People were outraged so by this crime. You do, you do it, but it's got to be for more than 50 G. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, you're putting a lot on the line. Like, you're, you're infiltrating one of the most powerful men who's connected to all yeah, these you got power, I mean, They're connected to the CIA, the state police. All right, it's you're not doing just this? any baby. All right, then. Back to Kanye. You're kidnapping his kid. What are you asking? Oh, millions. <laughs> millions. Multiples, multiples. Multiple millions. Tens of millions. Oh, my God. Well, here's where it gets uh, – here's that left turn we're always talking about, right? They've got uh, – in the paper, they are, people are horrified by the crime. They respond to We always wish you could do something. But this guy, John Condon, goes ahead. He's a well-thought-of retired school teacher, just like my dilf of a father over here. <laughs> I don't know whether to thank you or punch you at it's this a, point. Well, he's a well-known personality in the Bronx too, right? So uh, this guy is a retired uh, school teacher, like I said. And he puts a note, uh, an ad out in the paper offering his own personal $1,000 reward if the baby is turned over to a Catholic priest, because Condon is a Catholic, mm-hmm. right? Uh, 
Now, on March 6th, a new letter with the official signature, and I'm going to say signature because that's literally how the guy spelt it on his own note. He couldn't spell signature. Arrives, and he tells the Lindberghs that the middleman for the ransom should be this John F. Condon guy who put the article out in the paper. So they saw his ad in the paper, and they said, Here's a, we're going to bring him in as our middleman. We're going to kind of you know extract the ransom via him. So, uh, and a Kev Condon, I think, was uh, not from New Jersey, though, right? So there's, no, he was in the Bronx. The, he was from the Bronx. He was in, in New York at this point. Absolutely. Okay. Because the point that you made before about it's now a federal f- offense for kidnapping, if you take a kid across straight lines or if there's anything to do with state line crossing, uh, that I think because we'll, we'll, we'll see further. I don't know if I'm tipping my hand here, but uh, Condon is in New York. The kid was kidnapped in New Jersey, and now there's a state line issue kind of a thing with the ransom money going across state lines. Right. Uh, Joe, you got something? No, no. I, oh, I you look so yes. excited, buddy. No, I, I thought you heard, thought, heard me no. coughing. You're good to go, handsome. <laughs> it's, uh, now, here's where it gets That's weird. why I want to make a point. I go, um, <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. I have a point. <laughs> Lindbergh probably talked like that. Raise your hand first, Joe. I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, now Condon has to now reach out. That's a weird meeting, by the way. If you're like, hey, by the way, uh, uh, Mr. Lindbergh, really sorry about what happened here. Uh, listen, the kidnappers are coming through me for this, so we're going to have to work together to get your kid back. So how does he know the kidnappers? Uh, well, they're reaching out to him. He starts, getting to him. To, he starts getting letters from them. So now uh, Condon explains his role to the Lindberghs, and they place an article in the paper. Okay. Uh, in the article, he has to place an ad rather saying, money is ready, Jafsi, J-A-F-I-S-I-E, okay? That that's the code word. Okay. You know what I mean? Almost like the Jean has a very long mustache of the thing, so now the, the kidnappers know that this person's involved with it. My kid is trying to throw another little historical tidbit there. <laughs> that was the code for the launching of uh, D-Day, right? Right, so it's a little code word, <laughs> okay. which is beautiful. But Joe word Joe was made gotta... in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> Well, so now Jaffsey is going to be the name, and they organize a nighttime meeting at the famous Woodlawn Cemetery. By the way, uh, Woodlawn Cemetery, uh, Miles Davis is buried in that cemetery, and Herman Melville, the author of uh, Moby Dick. So now they're in this famous cemetery, and uh, you know he's by himself. Condon's by himself. I believe maybe there was something about Lindbergh had driven him to this. But uh, almost like a classic you know, thriller movie or whatever, they're meeting in the cemetery, and a man appears in the shadows, never reveals his face but sounding foreign, calls himself John, right, and says that he's a Scandinavian sailor and a part of a five-person gang, three men, two women, and they have the baby in safekeeping. So, Condon, what do you ask for, right? What do you ask for when you're trying to negotiate a ransom, Joe? The baby? (laughs) Well, yeah, but if you're trying to organize, you you don't give them money without proof of life, right? Nobody else saw that Russell Crowe movie? But, uh, (laughs) Condon... Condon asks for proof, and John says he's going to send the baby's sleeping suit back to him soon. So now he's going to send the sleeping suit to Condon so that Condon can then confirm with the Lindberghs that they do have his baby. So, But now in a real kind of tragic part, he goes, uh, this guy John, Sailor John, who's calling himself. They called him Cemetery John in the paper because everybody was reporting on every you know, thing that was going on at the story. He then asks Condon, he goes, would I burn if the package were dead? Kind of meaning like, hey, if the kid's dead, do you think I'm going to get the chair? Because that's what he used to call burning, right? 
So kind of a weird thing to sit there when you're trying to make a sale. You're like, oh, you know, it's a, hey, would you be mad if the car I'm selling you turns out to be a lemon? <laughs> yeah, right. So, can, we, can we drop the ransom to 25000 if the kid's dead? <laughs> yeah, tell you what. Uh, you're, <laughs> I mean, yikes. Sick. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, he only gave me half a baby. He's negotiating. He's negotiating. <laughs> That's grim as fuck. <laughs> Oh, they give him a little Asian kid. Lindbergh's like, this is not my kid. But he's just as smart as your kid. He'll <laughs> do great things. He's worth more than 50 Gs, this kid. He's good in math, and he plays the violin. He's going to build you your next airplane. Trust me. <laughs> he's quiet. He's quiet. Now, uh, on March 16th, Condon now receives the sleeping suit in the mail, and Lindbergh confirms it did belong to his son. These guys have his kid. Oh, wow. Okay? Uh, now, responding to another ransom note as instructed... Condon takes an ad out in the paper. The ad reads, money is ready, no cops, no secret service, I come alone like last time. Does this on March 16th. I mean, absolutely ruins everybody's St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> okay. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But they're thinking that the kidnapper's German, so, I mean, it's, uh, that's, a, that's a no start. Exactly. But uh, now on April 1st, okay, uh, the note says, uh, they put their note back to uh, Condon saying, it's time to deliver the ransom. So now they paid the ransom. The ransom is because they just want their kid back, right? The Lindberghs are like horrified by this. The ransom is paid in gold certificates, which the kidnappers don't know are about to be taken out of circulation by Treasury. So it's almost like paying you with something that's about to expire. You know what I mean? Right. Like, hey, how about I give you this, you know, uh, I give you a gift card that has like, you know, maybe a week left on it. And okay. they were going to accept that? Well, they were going to accept the gold. They don't know these things. They had no clue because now the kidnappers the tr- didn't oh, so know. This that is was just something that yeah, the it's feds- a shoddy group of group. That well, the feds, the research. The, yeah, the feds cooked this up that if we pay these guys now in um, the gold, what are they called? Gold certificates? They're paying them in gold certificates and unmarked bills. The bills had their serial numbers taken down. And the idea was first put out because this is that whole thing about New Jersey being supported on this investigation by the feds. Department of Justice guys came up with the idea. Uh, people of the Secret Service and also of the Treasury Department had the idea to take the serial numbers of the bills down. It's one of the first times that ever happened. We hear that like every time there's a ransom movie now. It's like the first thing, our money's marked. Yeah. So this is what they're doing on this one. It kind of works out perfectly. That's, uh, you know, it it becomes more important that they do that later in the story. Now, on April 2nd, John reveals to Condon that the baby is safe after he gets paid the ransom in the cemetery again. Reveals that the baby is safe and in the car, uh, I'm sorry, in the care of two innocent women. And they pay $50,000, right? So the $50,000 ransom has been paid, but now they don't get the kid back. It's got to be the worst April Fool's joke of all time, right? Yeah. Can you think of a worse one, Joe? No. I don't think you can either, man. $50,000 get your kid back. You don't get your kid back. But it is the crime of the century, right? Little Eagle is literally on the cover of Time magazine, and the nation is like waiting at the edge of their seat, you know, on bated breath to wait for this thing to get resolved. They're freaking out about it. It's you got to keep in mind, too, there wasn't a whole lot on TV back then. People are reading dime store novels. You just want to hear the news is almost your entertainment back then. So yeah, you're getting your news from by going to the movies and watching newsreels. I mean, right. there is no TV. It's it's radio or newspapers. And that's the media. Evil is winning on this particular case right Absolutely. now. It is not good here. Now, on May 12th, okay, so like we said, this happens on April Fool's Day that they don't get the kid back, right? They still don't have the kid back. It's now May 12th. A truck driver named William Allen pulls over about 4.5 miles from the Lindbergh house. Now, when I was working for the plumbing company I worked for, I used to drive down this area, too. A lot of woods. Very heavily wooded area. But a lot of times I'd have to hop out of the shitty vans I was driving and go take a piss on the side of the road. You know? Well, that's just you, Kev. You have no upbringing. 
Uh, sometimes you have to have it happen, man. But uh, <laughs> you know who agreed with me was Mr. William Allen. Okay, now William Allen decides he's going to hop out. He goes to piss in the woods, and he walks up pretty deep into the woods and uh, looks down as he's pissing and sees the decomposing body of a baby. Oh my god! Yeah. So it was the baby. It was the baby. It was ID'd by Charles and the family nurse because Aww. it was uh, it was wearing a, a shirt that the nurse had knitted for him. Okay, it was baby eaglet. Baby eaglet is dead. And it looks like he had a severe skull fracture. They believe it was possibly an accident that occurred during the kidnapping. Like, you know, uh, if you hit somebody over the head, they can't make noise while you're getting them out there. But if the baby started crying, they probably hit the kid in the head, right? Thinking they would silence him. And just for the time being, that he'd wake up and they'd be able to extract the ransom. They killed the kid. Oh, my God. Kid's dead. They make a little hasty grave kind of a thing. It looks like they tried to bury him a little bit, but it wasn't too much with that. But uh, Mr. William Allen, uh, what do you know about him, Dad? Uh, William, well, he was actually on a delivery. It was two guys in the truck, uh, but I think he was like the driver's helper because they were offloading lumber or something. They were making a, some kind of a lumber delivery, whether it was firewood or what, I'm not sure. But when he gets into the, uh, into the woods and discovers this body, uh, he's reported this to say, don't know about anybody losing a child except Colonel Lindbergh. Let's get out of here. So when he goes off, completes their their rounds reports it to the police when they finally come back and your your point about uh you know hastily dug grave or something now it's like i guess two months later and they said that um you know animals had gotten at the at the body it was it was a mess it was not a pretty sight uh those those pictures were never released if you will of the of the of the baby once it was found that was not part of the the media frenzy because it was just too gruesome. Now, William was a black dude, right? He was. Now, could you imagine being a black dude and you go into the woods, you're by yourself, you're taking a piss, you just think that you're getting rid of this piss so you can get on with your work day, and you see the most famous dead baby in the world. Yeah, the entire world is looking for this kid, and you just happen to stumble upon it. That's, and it, he was a, a guy of high character, thank God, That's too. not a good day. If that guy had a record on him, people would have sat there and probably, you know, it, he could have went, it, it very well could have not Th- gone That would have went mob mentality. Like, yeah. seriously. Yeah. Like, think uh, about it. Nowadays? Hell yeah. Right. Not even nowadays. <laughs> back then, too. Oh, my God. Right. So they report it. Uh, now, immediately, because the body was so destroyed and kind of mangled, uh, Lindbergh insisted on there being a cremation, okay? So there wasn't really able to do much of an autopsy or anything like that. On what they, but I, I can totally understand wanting that kid cremated on that one. But well, be, they, they did have the autopsy to discover that uh, it was a, the skull a, a blow to the head that uh, actually killed the kid. Is that Lindbergh's only kid? Uh, yes, at well, the time. Well, this is his firstborn child. The, firstborn the kid child. is only like 20 months old. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's the cute, adorable, yeah. little, terrible twos yeah. kind of a thing that we're about to go through here. Yeah. And the kid is is just as famous as his father now because you got this good-looking young couple. They just had their first baby, and now the, the baby is a 20-month-year-old and it gets kidnapped? Oh, my God. That's crazy. That's crazy. So that's May 12th when they go ahead and find him. Now, uh, by June of 1932, you know when things sit around and they fester? You don't have a resolution to something. People start getting angry. It starts beginning wide open speculation that the crime is actually an inside job. And what? people People start looking in on stuff here. So the Lindbergh servant, I'm sorry, servant, her name was Violet Sharp. She was uh, the British, uh, I guess like a nanny type in the house. Um, she delivered a very nervous and contradictory testimony. And so she started becoming the main feature that people thought maybe this, is, maybe this chick's involved. Maybe she knows something uh, you know, going on here. But uh, the crime was under the spotlight nationally, and since she was under immense pressure, uh, Sharp committed suicide 
on June 10th before she could be questioned by the police for what would have been the fourth time. Whoa. Yeah. So now things were getting to her because what was strange, too, is that the house was still under construction. Right. So they were only there on weekends. And then during the week, they would go back to Englewood, New Jersey, to live with the father-in-law and the mother-in-law in Englewood because it was closer to New York and where Lindbergh was working and everything else. So it was typical for them to stay the weekend, but the kid wasn't feeling well. They said that the kid had a cold. So rather than going back to Englewood uh, on, I guess, a Sunday night, they stayed over and stayed an additional night. So, I mean, somebody had to know that the they baby, were gonna be there. they were going to be there because wow. typically they would not have been there. Right. So when they questioned all the servants, and they they had like thirty servants. I mean, they had a, a slew of, of uh, servants. So is this the, the same servant that helped identify the kid when they? Found no, that him? was the uh, that was the nurse, if you will, the family okay. nurse. So this one, she was just in the house in some capacity, but she was also British, right? Which would kind of fit the foreign thing that people are. There's also a little bit of anti-immigration thing going on at the, this time here as well, which does come into play a little bit later on. But uh, they did start thinking it was an inside job. It turns out when she gave, offered her contradictory testimony, she was really just scared shitless. Her alibi held up. They discovered that after she committed suicide. She thought she was going to lose her job. She thought she was going to be implicated in some way, shape, or form here. So she's freaking out, kills herself. Turns out she had nothing to do with it, as far as we know, I should say. Or did she kill herself? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's where it gets. Now, <laughs> somebody may, Cue the weird music. may have made it look like that. It's, uh, it was out of fear, completely fear-mongering. And uh, now the newspapers at this time, they start criticizing the police for kind of their heavy-handedness in the tactics, you know. Because if you look at a state trooper now, they have a very threatening uniform to begin with. You know what I mean? They look like they're – you don't want to mess with a trooper. Right. Okay. Now, back then, too, Colonel uh, Schwarzkopf, who was the superintendent, they I mean they really had like a stormtrooper vibe almost to them. I mean these guys are shit kickers. So uh, they're being criticized for kind of their heavy hand that they have going on here with that. What are you doing? Um, so uh, – John Condon is now a suspect as well, right? Uh, they start bringing him underneath critique. So Lindbergh has stood by him during this entire time, but the police actually go through and search his house. It reveals absolutely nothing. And Condon starts getting accused. He was the hero of the story at first, right? But now Condon was the, the go-between between the Lindberghs and the, uh, uh, the uh, kidnappers. Oh, yeah, but now they're starting to accuse him of enjoying the celebrity status that comes along with all this, right? So it's really not good to begin with. Uh, he gets investigated. It turns out nothing on that one here, so it gets a little bit goofy. There's, we're at a dead end now. Nobody knows who's going to find the killer of the Lindbergh kid until they finally start tracking those serial number bills we were talking about. Yeah, because right? we, we've now escalated from a kidnapping to um, murderers. Now that you know that there's, you're not getting your kid back, right? Now right. it's almost like, let, let's get this thing. Let's, uh, somebody's got to die, all right? The, the public demands it, right? So the serial numbers that were being tracked had appeared as far as Chicago and Minnesota. By the way, strong German populations in both areas, right? You can't trust the Germans. Mm. Yeah, well, again, you got to think of the timeline here that uh, we're in the uh, 1930s. I mean, there's a lot of people walking around that just experienced the First World War and sending the, the American doughboys over to Europe to fight those guys. So, uh, you know, there's not a great glove for the for the German population, for sure. You mean the Jerrys? Uh, the Huns. <laughs> Uh, the Huns. Well, the Huns. Uh, well, they were they were called the Jerrys. I don't know if you know this too, by the way, Kahuna. But um, the German soldiers in World War One were known as Jerrys, right? And they got called that by the British, and then the Germans, in response, would call the British the uh, Toms, right? Guess Tommies. where Tom? Guess where Tom and Jerry comes from? Are you kidding? Wow! Me? I just learned that. Absolutely true. Wait, what? See? Yep. <laughs> Little so, nugget you can go home with, Joe. Yeah. 
Assume I don't know anything. Just give us a. <laughs> this is great. Well, uh, now the bills show up, right? Uh, but the gold certificates—they're now due to be exchanged. The deadline was going to be May first, nineteen thirty-three. Now, a few days before the deadline, a guy named J.J. Faulkner gives some gold certificates that were later ID'd as from the ransom. Now they go ahead to track him down. Faulkner had given his address as five three seven West Hundred Forty Ninth Street. They go there. No one named Faulkner had lived there in 20 years. They never found the guy. So whoever cashed in those gold certificates on the ineptitude of the bank teller, they were able to get away. So another dead end on this crime. It's not looking good, right? Then September 18th, 1934, a bank teller in Manhattan noticed there was a gold certificate from the ransom had been used to buy gas. Okay. Now the station attendant had written down the license plate of the person buying the gas in suspicion that the guy was a counterfeiter because he didn't really like him. Right kind of had like a suspicious vibe to him. You know when you meet somebody, you just think they're up to no good? Right. Well, that's what this guy was. So they wrote it down. License plates belong to a Mr. Richard Hauptman, a German with a criminal background. Okay? So that brings us back to the American loser for this week. Dad, who the fuck is Richard Hauptman? Well, Richard Hauptman was an illegal immigrant from Germany, right? He happened to be a machine gunner in the German army during the First World War. So, I mean, this guy is hitting all kinds of, pushing all kinds of buttons for reasons why people are going to hate him. Um, he was a, a carpenter by trade, but, uh, you know, upon further investigation, they found out that he had a criminal background while still living in Germany, made two failed attempts to illegally immigrate into the United States, his third try, the third time was charmed. He comes into the United States and is now working as a carpenter, but he's got a lot of shady uh, shady people that he's working with, and, and his background is a little less than stellar. Well, he had stowed away aboard a U.S. ship illegally for the third time that he was able to make it into the country, but the first thing he did was marry a German waitress. So now he's, gonna, he's an anchor baby in a weird way then. You know what I mean? So he's going to get to stay in the country. Uh, now, of the crimes that he committed back in Germany, one of them was Joe... Uh, Tell me if you think he's a good guy on this one, all right? Maybe he's just a misunderstood fella. He robbed two <laughs> women at gunpoint while they were carrying their babies in strollers. Hey, I mean, you know, who hasn't had a little fun once in a while? You, know, you get out of control. You pick out the easy target, right? Now, get this one, too. So all this stuff, like my dad was saying, it's all shit that's going to make the public hate him. He's an illegal immigrant on this one. He fought for the Germans in World War I. Uh, he's got a criminal background like we're all talking about here. Now, uh, the worst part is... He burglarized the mayor of his own hometown back in Germany years ago. And the thing that he used in order to break into the guy's apartment was a ladder that got him into the second story of the building. So now there's a link to the direct the Lindbergh. Lindbergh ladder. <laughs> right. The motive operandi the continues. The infamous Lindbergh ladder. It, uh, it does well, not like, look does good. That, well, like, I don't does that, That's like a clue. Like, it's a ladder. <laughs> Yeah, but he's he's used a ladder in the past. He's a second story man. He's a, second know, story. He's a, he's a robber I, and he's a second story. I don't man. really, I don't always kidnap babies. When I do, they're second story babies. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but the thing is, he fits the criminal profile that they're looking for on this one. Okay, now he seemed to realize that he was under surveillance by the government because he attempted to flee. He fled on September nineteenth. Okay, he got caught behind a truck in traffic on one hundred seventy eighth and Tremont. So he literally got caught 13 minutes away from Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. Wow. Yeah, what do you know about, like, I like to imagine a game had just gotten out at that time. <laughs> he got caught up in the crowd. And he's stuck in all what the time crowd. time was it? Uh, I don't, we don't know what time of day. It was September 19th, though, so it would have been. be a day game. 
They don't do night games. Yeah, well, it could have been a night game, a day game back then. So he goes out, he gets stuck behind a truck. They get him. We got our man. It is now time for, okay, we had the most hated man in the world, right? He is the most hated man in the world. This is the crime of the century, which means it has to have incongruence, the trial of the century, right? So the evidence that's been presented in the trial, ransom money found on his person, Hauptman's person, during the arrest. 15,000 more of the ransom dollars were in his garage, okay? His handwriting samples were similar from Robert and from the ransom notes, okay? So when they're going through everything, he's able, they would sit there, they would compare, they'd make him write something out like in old letters and stuff like that that he would have, and they would compare the way that he had an uppercase and a lowercase, and you kind of play through. So it matches the stuff that's on the ransom note. Yeah, this is also one of the first times that forensic evidence uh, enters into this whole thing with this handwriting analysis. This was like the first time this ever happened. Yeah, this case still, what was the one thing that tipped them off on him again? I just, I forgot that one. Just He got flagged with some of the dirty money. Flagged with the dirty money. Yeah, because yeah, he tried he bought, to buy gas. He bought gas. With a so gold they, certificate. Oh, he bought. Okay, they bought gas. And I thought gold, if they found him and threw some on him, be like, yeah, "Here's our guy. Let's have no, no, this no, news story." Right. <laughs> you know, beat the piss but out the of him. The fact that he bought gas is, yeah. yeah, right. He bought gas but with like, one of the gold certificates. But like, what if some, like, like, yeah, no, no like, it's if somebody a good could question. set you up with, it, like, here, take some money. Yeah, here, you know, that question is why this uh, case is still studied today by a lot of people. Okay, because in the middle of this trial, this entry over here, and this, this, they do teach this in. Um, you know, background investigation training and stuff like that. Uh, also, uh, lawyers should be all over this one too, because now during the uh, the as they're looking for everything on him, like I said, they found the handwritings are similar, right? Uh, they found all the dirty money at his house, a bunch of it, not all of it. I should be very clear on that one. Uh, they also find lumber from his attic had been used to build the ladder outside the Lindbergh home, wow. so it seemed to match that. Uh, wasn't there something Again, about tools? Again, another one of those forensic uh, forensic evidence guys that there's now f- from the Forestry Service, the National Forestry Service or something, they call in this guy as the expert witness to bring uh, – the prosecution calls this guy in to bring witness against this, that the lumber on the ladder matched the lumber that happened to be in Hauptman's uh, attic. Um, he either did it or is the most unlucky dude ever. <laughs> like, really? I can't believe that the lumber right, matches right. my I lumber. I should have gone to the depot or Lowe's insane. or something. But Yeah, like how do, what do you mean match the lumber? Like you yeah. said it's anybody a, else could have that lumber. Well, they're, they're looking at the grain pattern on the wood and all this kind of stuff. And then they were looking at the marks that uh, for the tools that made the ladder. Oh, that the planes, okay. The planes and the chisels and all this kind of stuff. And I think there was actually a – a chisel or something that was found on the Lindbergh's property that belonged to Hauptman. Now, whether it was a plant or whether he, you know, I can't, I can't understand why you would go to a kidnapping and have a chisel in your back pocket that falls out of the pocket while you're climbing a ladder to snatch a kid. But uh, we'll we'll get into he that. He just little finished the ladder. <laughs> That's right. He's like, just in right time. up to the last minute. Like, I gotta get this baby, man. They're never here on the weekends. Right. <laughs> he just <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you gotta put me onto something here, yeah. Joe. Right. Oh, Jeez, I got no time. Yeah. No time. Do you Monday see night too, footballs uh, on pretty soon? I gotta I get know. this done and over I with. I gotta get this ladder done. <laughs> Do you see the the look in my father's eyes too? Where he's like, I just can't believe. That a carpenter would leave his tools behind. Yeah, really. <laughs> that's the part that's upset to this guy the most. Yeah. Man. My father's chisel. never left a tool on a job site. <laughs> oh, no. the, you said this case was like it's still very famous. Like a lot of people still do like roughly know about it. Dumb question, but is the evidence still like around? Uh, I think some of it is still around. You can definitely review it because there's books that are still being written about it by going through the forensic stuff that they were able to dig up. 
What if but, Capone did it? <laughs> what if, he was like, in jail, right? He was in jail, yeah, but he was like in jail at this time. he was automatically like, "Hey, if you get me out of here, maybe I can help." And yeah. he did have. I know a guy who Cap- knows a guy. Capone would have done it a lot stuff. more clean. None of that money would have been spent at a gas station. <laughs> <laughs> the lumber would have been from sway somewhere else. Right. right. Well, that's where all the conspiracy <laughs> theories for this start coming in now, which is fun because uh, they. This is what did him in is that they found Condon, right? So uh, kind of who was the guy who was the middleman that they used? They found. In Hauptman's house, Condon's address and his phone number were found inscribed on the closet wall in his home. So why would he have Condon's address and all that other stuff if he wasn't involved in the the kidnapping in some way, shape, or form? Now, what sucks, that's one of the biggest pieces of evidence that puts Hauptman away. Later on, it's revealed that a newspaper person, one of the journalists covering the story, wrote it on the wall just to make sure that they had something to report on. Yeah, like stuff like that. Like, I mean, this guy is the biggest buffoon or someone's setting him up. You know what I mean? Like, he's doing everything to get caught. Absolutely. Every step of the way, right. he's... Like, how can you be that diabolical that stupid to or set that this much up? of a loser? Make, yeah, I guess he could be that much of a loser where he's just... But then again, you think he would have, like, dropped the baby sooner or, like, been caught, like, earlier in the process. Remember, there, I think there was a, a story. I can't remember the name of the story. It was from the Canterbury Tales where it was the three knights that found the fortune in the woods and then each one was going to sit there and, like, okay, well, uh, I'm going to fuck over this guy. And they all wind up conspiring against one another thinking, like, oh, you know, money goes a little bit further, but it's just the two of us, right? Let's get rid of a number. But then they all have a plan like that and they all wind up killing themselves in the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, I do feel like – so now this guy, John, uh, Sailor John from the cemetery, uh, he had said specifically, he goes, that I'm a part of a five-man gang, right? Now, Houtman's the only person that's ever been arrested in connection to this crime. So other people were a party to this, either know what happened or something – like could be very something Reservoir Dogs-like where we don't know all the full story of it. It makes sense that baby's dead because that buffoon, if he did all this dumb shit, probably dropped that kid <laughs> down the ladder like a few times. He's like – and then he yeah. brought it to the crew. He's Bang like, the kid's head I don't know the what happened. As he's going down the ladder. I don't know what happened, but all I know is I left my chisel. <laughs> now, Condon. Get me a oh chisel when we God. get this money. Yeah. Now, Mr. Condon, uh, who's, uh, you know, who's the middleman for that, he IDs Hauptman as the guy that, who received the money. And then he was also ID'd as the person who was spending the money by the gas station attendant. He was also then ID'd as seen near the house uh, in Hopewell, the Lindbergh Mansion, in a similar vehicle to the one that he was buying the gas for. All points to this guy. He's also absent from work the day of the ransom, and he quit work two days later. Hmm. You want to talk about you know creating a trail? Yeah, this guy's the worst. Well, uh, he maintains that he's innocent. Maintained his innocence up into uh, his death, uh, and he blamed a guy named Isidore Fish. That that's the other guy that's ever been named in the conspiracy behind the Lindbergh baby kidnapping and murder. What do you know about it? Yeah, well, before we jump into that, I mean, they found money at Houtman's house, right? Some of the gold uh, certificates at Houtman's house. Right. And then Houtman is claiming that that's not his money. He was just holding it for a friend holding of his. Holding it for somebody. I used that with my mom one time with weed. <laughs> <laughs> holding it for somebody. Yeah, it's right. not mine. I don't smoke that yeah. shit, Mom. It's, this it's just a friend of mine. This set himself up. Like, yeah, you know, so, like, so uh, supposedly now he's got all of this money uh, stashed away that he's holding for this guy Isidore Fish. That it's not Houtman's money, it's Fish's money, and he just promised being a good guy that he was going to hold on to it till a fish comes around and picks it up. How does he explain all these clues like not being a uh, we'll, we'll get into that, we in that? A little okay, bit. We'll, we'll get there but because uh, I'm like I can't, I can't yeah, believe I mean, this guy's such an idiot yeah, but I can't yeah. believe he's an idiot enough to be uh, you know for someone to set him up. 
Right, but at the same time, too, the other side of that coin is you've got all of all, every newspaper guy in the world is trying to find the uh, the murderers now, right? Not only yeah. the kidnappers, but now it's a murder. And fake you got, news media. You got every yeah, <laughs> fake news, big time, and you know the the phone number of the go-between is written on the closet door of Houtman. And as it turns out, that was one of the key things to prosecute this guy. And then they find out, well, yeah, they found out later, yeah, that, that really wasn't Houtman that wrote that. It was some newspaper guy that wrote that. Yeah, because so, everything can right. be so tainted because of the right. celebrity of it. So they can be Absolutely. like, this guy at the gas station should be like, yep, that's him. I saw him. And, and every politician paper. and every police uh, police guy is is trying to elevate himself um, to be the guy that's going to solve the crime of the century, it right? It's open to so much cur- lies. Yeah, to, where is Dick Tracy when you need him, right? Well, you got to catch this killer because the nation demands it. It's a high-profile family, and then everything about Houtman is entirely unlikable. This is not a sympathetic character. He's described as uh, being broad-shouldered with deep-set eyes. Lindbergh himself testified against him, right? And when he met Houtman, he said, this, this man had something to do with the death of my son. He goes, he could just feel it, that there was something... Uh, a little bit off about the guy. Nobody liked it. I mean, the guy was suspicious buying gas. And then the guy had, that's the reason that his license plate got written down. He got uh, trapped in the first place. Not a sympathetic character whatsoever. And he is convicted on April 3rd, 1936. Okay. Houtman received the electric chair. He sat in Old Smoky, right, down in Trenton State Prison, which we did on the last episode. Kahuna, guess who killed him? Who? Robert G. Elliott, the same guy, the New York State electrician Wait, the, that we covered the, from last the week. The electrician. He flipped the switch and, and fried him. So yep. uh, now his last words to the priest, because he denied doing this the entire time. He said he was an innocent man. He had nothing to do with this. He was just holding the money for Isidore Fish. And uh, uh, pretty much what he had said, too, and uh, one of the other things was uh, he blamed it all on Fish and actually Fish's family. Fish was dead at the time. Fish's family had to come over from Germany to uh, kind of defend his honor, if you will, during the court proceedings. But uh, as he's getting ready to hit the electric chair, his last words are, Ich bin absolut unschuldig an den verbecken demand mir zur last lug, which roughly translates to, uh, if the glove don't fit. (laughs) (laughs) Go, pack, go. Um, But, uh, yeah, his wife Anna has pled his innocence to all the crimes and has filed several lawsuits and appeals. Literally, she was still appealing this up until her death in 1994. I mean, that's a ride-or-die bitch right there. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. That's right. That chick had his back no matter what. Stand by wow. your man. Top quality broad. Well, the worst wow. part is that uh, they, they never even got uh, Hoffman's name right, too, because he never went by Bruno. So he kept getting uh, called Bruno because you have to when you execute someone, you have to have their legal name on the thing. So it's like your entire life you're sitting there. People are calling you Bruno. He goes, actually, it's Robert. And then finally they're like, oh, we're putting Bruno to death. I'm Robert, guys. Robert. <laughs> All right, Robert. Exactly. Hey, Joe, though, going back to your uh, whole, he's either the stupidest guy in the world or there's there's something definitely strange about this whole thing. Because this guy is convicted. He is executed. But, like, at the at the trial, he, the prosecution witness that was called that put uh, Hauptman in Hopewell, like, the day before, he's this nearly blind guy. And he testifies that he saw Hauptman in Hopewell, and he's later paid a thousand dollar reward. It's just just coincidental. So I mean, a nearly blind guy is now saying that I saw that guy in downtown Hopewell, right? 
Another witness later jailed for another witness that put uh, Hauptman in Hopewell was later jailed for theft. State troopers retracted earlier statements that there were two sets of footprints outside on the lawn at the base of the ladder. And then that was uh, uh, later um, rescinded. And he said, "Oh no, no, no! There was only one. There was only one set of footprints. We we made a mistake when we spoke at, at the yeah, first." Yeah, because you would think you would bring two, two guys to hold one to hold the ladder. Because what if you're up there with the baby on your ladder fall? And right. Now you're like, yeah, safety, go. safety. This not is only an OSHA is approved job. Safety in the middle of no, a kidnapping. No, no, not right. safety. Where's the union rep on this? No, not safety. I'm talking. I'm talking. You're up there. What if you accidentally knocked the ladder down? Now you got to jump right. two stories right. with the baby. Right. Um, what else? Uh, the defense, although the wood was found in the attic of uh, Hauptman's house that supposedly was used to build the ladder, mm-hmm. uh, the, de- the defense was denied access to the house to check that themselves. So it was only the prosecution that was allowed to go into yeah, the house to check bullshit. that. <laughs> yeah, that's bullshit. The real. lumber. Right? And then uh, what else we got? Um, oh, when he was writing the note. Um, so they could compare his handwriting to the ransom note. The uh, New Jersey State Troopers told Houtman exactly how to spell the words. So the misspelled words on the ransom note, he was forced to misspell the words on the ah, second piece of handwriting expertise. This is such a settle, man. <laughs> that, brutal. Right? killed an innocent right. man. Um, the prosecution uh, concedes... Right, they they gave it up. They said, "Yeah, this guy Fish, that supposedly Hauptman was holding the money for his good friend Fish, who then left the country and went back to Germany." Right, um, the the prosecution concedes that Fish did pay for passage back to Germany with gold certificates from the uh, from the from the ransom money. Well, now he the money that he gave to Houtman too, which I found very interesting. Uh, he gave it to him. It was in a paper envelope kind of thing, like a brown paper uh, package. Handed it to Houtman, asked him to hang on to it. This is what Houtman is saying happened. He goes, "Well, what's in it?" And he goes, "Oh, uh, important papers." Now, Fish, he was kind of a goofy guy. He would uh, he was very well known in the area. He would show up and he would try to make like bogus investments. Like he'd walk up to like a councilman in the city or something, be like, "Oh, we should do business on." And it would be completely like bullshit. So he's a con artist. But one of his cons was that he would buy hot money, okay, which would be like money used in a crime or something like that that you couldn't have out. So he would buy hot money and sit on it for a while. So that he would, you know, there was kind of pretty much he was the money launderer of his day, yeah. which is interesting. So now he hands this thing that says important papers, right? Hands that uh, package off to Houtman. Houtman puts it up on the shelf, right? And then when he's up on his ladder one day trying to fix a leak, he can see that the brown paper's disintegrated and there's all this goddamn money in there. So it's almost like that No Country for Old Men thing where you show up and you're like, Jesus, there's a suitcase full of money. What the fuck do I do? And uh, he goes, I'd take some of the money. In his mind, he goes, well, I'm entitled to this because Fish owed me a bunch of money before he bolted and went back to Germany. Okay? Mm. So now he's just like, I'm just taking the money that he owes me, right? So it's a little, you know, kind of a, the devil on your shoulder moment. And he goes, and he takes that money, and then he starts going back for more, but he doesn't really take anything else. But he's spending the money. The money being spent is what brings it all back to him. Tries putting on Fish, but Fish is dead. Fish's family argues that, well, if he had all this money, he wouldn't have died from the disease he had. He desperately needed health care, and he never got it. So now Fish, the only other possible person linked to the thing, is already dead back in Germany, right? And Hauptmann's literally left holding the bag, literally and figuratively. Now, he is possibly an innocent man. Uh, a book that was re- uh, very recently written, I would say, by a retired New Jersey state trooper detective, uh, he actually indicated that uh, he said Hauptmann would be just as guilty today as he was back then. 
that we got the right guy. We just didn't get all the guys. Assuming that that evidence is real. Right, exactly. That they didn't plant Planted. that evidence. Right. I mean, not letting the defense look at it. Like, it just sounds like they wanted to make the case. Hey, the, you know, this has gone on now for months at months since the baby was originally kidnapped. Yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of high-powered people are looking pretty foolish because they still haven't caught this guy. So now they finally go to trial. He is convicted, right? Oh, one of the other pieces of evidence, um, Hauptman um, said that he was working in New York at the time of the kidnapping. And they, that, at first, that was confirmed by Hauptman's uh, supervisor. And they had uh, his timesheets and his payrolls. But later on, that just kind of disappeared. So there was no way of actually um, confirming. confirming that because the payroll and the timesheets disappeared. This case would be thrown out in court today. <laughs> yeah, right. If you put this together. Uh, and, then, and then the supervisor, Hauptman's a supervisor at work, he refuses to take the stand. Um, um, and it's later um, the state police are accused of uh, coercion by the, by the state police. Garbage people. Um, the, the jury took all of 11 hours to find this guy guilty, right? He's then sentenced to death in the electric chair at, at uh, was it, uh, Old Smoky? Yep, right? Trenton State Prison. Trenton State Prison. Um, while he's in prison awaiting, um, awaiting the, the death of, in the electric chair, he's visited by the New Jersey governor, and they have long conversation. Meanwhile, while he's in prison, some additional gold certificate notes show up that you know mm, wait a Jesus. minute where the hell did this money come from right i thought because yeah. they, they never were able to account for all 50 grand they only found part of the 50 grand with with Houtman. um the new jersey governor has a long visit with Houtman while he's on death row and the New Jersey governor at that time could only grant the 30-day um, uh, reprieve, right, a stay of execution or reprieve. And in that time, um, you know, they're, they're, the governor calls on this guy, Elias Parker, who is touted as being like the real-life Sherlock Holmes of the United States. This guy is like world-famous for solving all of these great crimes. That, so he's uh, like Sherlock Holmes, but with a circumcised penis. <laughs> it's always about the penis jokes, right, Kev? <laughs> he's going to come out one of these days. We got to keep it light in here, fellas. I mean, he's got a record of solving like 288 out of uh, 300 uh, crimes. That uh, this guy is phenomenal, right? He's hit, he's hitting it out of the park, and. Uh, he is called into the thing, and there's some additional investigation. He starts to investigate this guy, Paul Wendell, who's kind of a shady character himself who has definite mob connections and everything else. Um, and then there's all kinds of trumped-up charges against Elias Parker, the guy that was sent by the governor to investigate that he's brought up on kidnapping charges because he, well, he tuned Wendell up to have him sign a 25-page uh, admission of guilt in this whole thing or collaboration. Yeah, so, yeah. But all of that was ignored and political contacts were called upon to make sure that none of this would ever – none of this is going to help out Hauptman, that's for sure. And then 30 days after – when the 30-day uh, um, 
suspended, not suspended sentence. What am I thinking of? Um, stay reprieve. of execution. Yeah, stay of execution or reprieve. Uh, you know, they flipped the switch on Hauptman, and supposedly that was the end of the whole Lindbergh incident. But Always trust the police. <laughs> they have your best interest at heart. They do their job right. None of them are bad. I would say uh, the one thing with Hauptman, though, is that I believe in my mind that he's got to be like a uh, – he must have been like the Fredo of this crew. You know what I mean? Where right. He knew the crew, but I, I definitely – he was the one. That he, was the, he was the – the shorter stick in this yeah. crew, like he wasn't the brightest one in the bunch. Yeah, he wasn't the sharpest knife. In a the drawer. lot of the stuff that's taken from this case is actually put into the Mel Gibson movie Ransom as well. That they put a modern spin on that. That uh, they literally borrowed some of the the actual shit that went down with the whole Lindbergh case for the script for that movie. Well, it's such a shame that they couldn't like lean on him more. Like instead of like just like let's throw this guy away, like yeah. let's try and make. They just were tired of it, I, I guess. I think it was the intense pressure of probably having the feds up your ass, the uh, people, the, the nonstop media attention. coverage. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody in the is world. Jersey is Jersey about to, yeah, is the, brand, the first superintendent of the state police, is he about to fuck up the investigation of the crime of the century? You know what I mean? And the most hated man. Howman, again, not a sympathetic guy here either. It's like but, it's like the crime of the century solved with like another crime of the century, right. <laughs> like an innocent man. He's well, an illegal immigrant him. anyhow. So if we fried him, well, everyone's like, yeah, we move on. <laughs> That's right. Next, it's not like he's a Lindbergh baby. <laughs> but uh, submitted for your approval, guys. Uh, that is Richard. I'm sorry, Robert Hauptman. Okay, who is the uh, a Bruno as we would call him, Mr. Hauptman, uh, You are, sir, an American loser. Uh, guys, do you have anything else? Uh, Joe, where can they find you on Twitter, Facebook, everything like that? Uh, yeah, Facebook, uh, Joe Fernandez, Fernandez with an S. Okay, got any gigs coming up you want to plug real quick? Or? Um, I got uh, Wonka Vinny's this week, if they're going to hear it this week. Um, I'll be at the Harrisburg Comedy Zone first weekend of October. I'll be at uh, the Comedy Shop in Rutherford September 27th. At the, go to jjcomedy.com for those tickets. Awesome, man. And then uh, I'm actually going to be uh, on Saturday uh, the 6th. Uh, I'm going to be at the Newtown Theater opening for uh, Ron Bennington, uh, wow. comedy legend. Okay, looking forward to that one, guys. That one might sell out, so if you want to grab your tickets now for that one. Uh, I want to say real quick, thank you very much to Ming and Mike Zapsik for letting us do this over here. Thanks to the big kahuna taking care of us on the ones and twos. Joe Fernandez, thanks for coming in here today on this one. Thanks uh, for having me, buddy. Uh, you were great, dude. I appreciate it. And, uh, Dad, thanks for making me love history. Uh, we're going to end on this one positive note here. This is a downer of an episode. Was okay? it? I think it is a downer of an episode. Yeah, this was but like... Dead babies is not a downer to you? <laughs> I, was I, mean, I have fun, you know what I mean? Impossible, I was expecting guys. way more dead baby jokes, but I feel like everyone here is a relatively good human being, so... Yeah. No. Well, it's, I, we, I, we I got feel a like I tried to get a few in there. We got you yeah. full. <laughs> we <laughs> figured out that you would do it. You just want a little bit more money. We learned some things. Yeah, not that right. I would, but if I had to. Uh, <laughs> on a positive note, the, uh, the Lindbergh house that now became known as Highfields, uh, it was built for the uh, Lindberghs. The kidnapping happened in uh, 1932. Uh, by 1933, um, the Lindberghs have already moved out of the house. They just couldn't hang out there anymore. And they actually um, went back over to Europe to kind of live in isolation to get away from the whole media uh, scene. They have additional kids uh, while they're over in, in Europe. Um, so that kind of worked out for them. But in 1933... 
the uh, Lindberghs turned the house over to a board of trustees. And in 1941, uh, these board of trustees turned the house over to the state of New Jersey. So they gifted the house to the state of New Jersey. And since 1952, um, the house has been used as a juvenile uh, rehab center because one of the stipulations that the Lindberghs put when they gave the house uh, away to the to the state was that the um, the state would then use that house to the benefit of of children to youth, and uh, this juvenile rehab center has done great work within uh, the state of New Jersey um, with some. Uh, that's incredible. Misguided, misguided youth. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, and like I so. said, building is still standing to this day. You can actually request a tour of it. We did find that out over here. Uh, I'll even give you the ladder. It's a <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're fixated on that ladder. <laughs> well, you know, at the at the trial, they were actually selling like little miniature souvenir ladders for people because that was. Are a, you kidding? Wow. wow, that was a that was wow. a. A media circus, and the, and the trial took place in uh, Flemington, New Jersey, which was this little nothing of a town of like twenty seven hundred people, and now the the entire world's media is descending upon the trial for the Lindbergh baby. So, I was the only one obsessed with ladders. It's, it was a very big part of this <laughs> right, whole hey, case. It's I a trinket and bead. You can yeah, uh, pick I got that a up. Little something about old Charles boy because it relates back to the last episode. What do you he got? he died in Hawaii. He absolutely he li- it's true. He, he lived there for the rest of his. He lived in England with his wife, and then he went down there, but he passed away and is buried in Maui. If you got to pick a place to die, I think Maui's a pretty good one to do it in. But uh, on that note, guys, I want to say thank you very much for everything here. We had an awesome episode, guys. Check us out. If you can follow the podcast on uh, SoundCloud and iTunes. If you're still listening on the Shared Universe Network, I appreciate that. They've been very good to us, but we're getting our own uh, iTunes going up, and the old, uh, our own SoundCloud is up as well. Uh, you can check me at uh, KP Burke Sucks on Twitter and Instagram or KP Burke on Facebook. Guys, thank you very much for doing this. It was a great episode. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born.